Welcome back, listeners, to this week's episode of If I Only Knew. I'm finally back with Fred after I've been a little bit sick, and it's great to be here chatting a bit about uh, the world, Australia, culture, young people. Um, we've got a, a pretty relevant uh, topic right now because the election cycle's happening in Australia. I'm sure our listeners are probably a bit sick to death about hearing about it, but uh, I wanted to, to talk a little bit with Fred today about what it means to like see political ads and political ads on the internet and maybe even just how truthful these political ads have to be in Australia. So, g'day Fred, hello, it's good to see you. How sick are you of seeing these political advertisings going on Look, right now? Good to be back, Matt. Very good to have you back. Sorry to our listeners if we missed a week there, but the reality is we do get sick, we're only human. Political ads, the political process, we're a couple of weeks away from an election and uh, Matt, the only thing I think gets in the way of a good political ad is the fantasy of the person that writes the ad, you know? Because you go from, today there's one with our incumbent Prime Minister dressed as Gollum from (laughs) Lord of the Rings holding a dollar. Right. The ones that I just really struggle with is um, the United Australia Party and their three-word catchphrases, you know, make Australia great. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that you've pointed out to me before we started taping was this idea that in Australia, the normal standards that we have for advertising, particularly about the claims you can make and the truth Mm. of the ads, don't apply to political advertising and they certainly don't apply to political skullduggery in the digital forum. Mm. So as a young person, Matt, my question to you is, do you pay attention to these ads and do you think the fact that they don't have to be true is dangerous? Yeah, I find this absolutely like insane, Fred, right? Because I think the thing for me that makes it so strange that our political ads don't have to be true is that all our other ads seem to have to be true. We have all these other consumer protections. So I do kind of expect my ads to be, you know, trying to convince me of something but still have some truth to what they're saying. If any of our listeners are confused, Fred and I are talking about the fact that in Australia there's no law that says that they have to be true, that they have to be correct. And that means you can get away with saying almost anything on these political ads, right? And I do think that that affects the way young people see election cycles and the way young people see politics. So I think there's two, there's, there's two key points there. The first is that I expect my advertising and my media to be somewhat true because we have those protections elsewhere in Australia. So I don't pay much attention to ads. And I don't think too many young people do pay too much attention to ads, right? We see them every goddamn minute of our lives. We're pretty good at filtering them out. But we expect them, as we're filtering them out, to be largely true. The second thing is that ads have gotten very good at catching our attention, right? So we're good at filtering them out. Ads are very good at catching our attention. And so I think that um, these political ads make the most of their ability to bend the truth by being outrageous, to catch your attention, to to try and, and get you involved. And I think that while you might filter out three dozen ads, if one of them catches your attention and it's the most outrageous and the most false then that's the one that you're going to remember. That's the one that's going to stick with you. And so I think this is a little bit of a problem for young people. But I have a little bit of a thought, a little bit of an opinion, that maybe this misinformation is a little bit less rampant on mainstream media like television and stuff. So, Fred, I guess that there would be, like, falsehoods portrayed on on mainstream television and stuff. Is, Is that the case? I don't watch too much TV. I think that the single biggest issue with political ads on mainstream television is that they have devolved largely into two camps. Mm. One is the two major parties and their attack ads. Mm. Again, something that we can thank our North American friends for. Mm. 
and they're a great ad because they'll always have the worst possible angle of a photo to make somebody look really dim-witted or quite nasty. Right, yeah. So on the one hand, you've got the attack ads, which I always question because I've never known an ad like that to change an opinion. Yeah. The second sort are these fringe or single-issue parties with these grand statements like, we will return a trillion dollars worth of Australian super to Australian the Australian economy and fix the infrastructure. And you go... What does that mean? Sounds great, you know. Mm-hmm. If you're Bobby and Betty beer can and someone says, we will lock home loans at 3% for five yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, Great. If you know anything about government, that's not the way that monetary policy or fiscal policy <laughs> yeah, works. Yeah. So it's a, real, it's a real juxtaposition between what I like to think of as mainstream clickbait. Mm. We will solve, we will fix the economy with a 15% tax on iron ore products going to Asia. Mm, right. Right? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> That'll do it. Easy peasy. Solved. Sounds simple though. It's got a real, yeah. it's got a real, it resonates yeah. in a way because of the simplicity. Yeah. Um, and the other is, you know, my favorite at the moment it won't be easy under Albanese. God, I mean, yes. I don't know who got paid for that, but I think we know the winner <laughs> is neither the political parties but the ad agency that got paid good money for that little ditty. Mm. So I think, though, in the digital forum, it's more insidious only because the same standards on advertising that kind of constrain mainstream mm. advertising because I think these parties work hard to contain backlash. In the digital forum, I think single-issue parties and these parties that support the mainstream parties get a little bit more subversive. Yeah, so my my kind of idea or my thinking, and I, I suspect you've largely supported this, was that I think that in the mainstream, it's both more costly to advertise and yeah. because you're speaking to more people, there's more of a chance that people will be maybe a bit more critical of any falsehoods that you do present. So it's that much more likely that ABC's Media Watch will pick up on what you're exactly. saying or that or that, that even the, the nightly news, if it's that egregious, will say yeah. crazy new attack ad from, from X party is is confusing punters or whatever um and i think that 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 involves a little bit more of our like norms our social norms about what we can and can't put on mainstream media and so i do think that while there's this misinformation is rife in the mainstream television i think it's a little bit less um prevalent or pertinent perhaps but young people are more exposed to this stuff online for sure so i have seen so many goddamn united australia party ads and this is a very shared experience for a lot of young people who participate on youtube so much so that you can just put a post on facebook asking about uap um ads and everyone's seen them because they're spending a lot of money on youtube specifically to try and get their message out there i also get every second facebook ad for me is either a, a liberal party ad or an independent ad because i live in a seat that might swing away from the liberals this uh yep. this election yep. quite surprisingly so it's very interesting to see the amount of money and the amount of time and attention that these advertising agencies or people are spending on specifically targeting some young people and some people in in certain electorates and i think that that's the power of this misinformation online is that for one thing you can bombard people with them without too much cost because it's not so costly to uh to to reach 10,000 20,000 30,000 people with potential misinformation mm-hmm. campaigns and the second one is that you can then target that cheap bombarding 
of misinformation to the people that you want to see it. So you can target them in certain electorates, you can target them in marginal seats, you can target them in seats where you're concerned about it going one way or another. And so I do think that young people are perhaps more at risk of being confused or, or persuaded by misinformation campaigns online because I think they're perhaps a little bit more egregious, a little bit more prevalent because of their cheapness and a little bit more targeted because of the way that these algorithms work. And I think that's quite concerning because I don't think all that many young people are actually all that aware of the like legal falsehoods that a lot of these uh, advertisings actually perpetrate because, at least for me, I, I was definitely confused about this because because I know that we have customer protection of truthfulness in most other areas. So the ACCC is excellent at ensuring that uh, ads oh, have to be accurate. Absolutely. Right? You're never going to see on mainstream TV or in the digital space the you know big almond milk putting cows in like burglar costumes and saying they're here to steal your health. You know? you, you, you're never going to see that the milk wars, milk mm. with an I and milk with a Y, mm. playing out, you know, with the same sort of skullduggery that politics does. Mm. But I have a question about that just from a, a behavioural perspective. So I, the one thing that you've pointed out to me is how efficient digital advertising is, low mm. cost, high targeting, mm. um, uses a great algorithm. And, but I wonder if you continue to see those ads, mm. I don't know how much money the United Australia Party has spent on advertising because it includes billboards everywhere, yeah, yeah. TV, radio, uh, mainstream newspaper, and I would imagine a huge digital campaign. And the only thing I say is, given the founder of that party's history with litigation, uh, I have no opinion on this, but I hope that the advertisers got their money up front. <laughs> That's a very, um, very diplomatic way of phrasing that, Fred. Very nice. Yeah. But what I would say is I would imagine that if that hit my inbox at 17 or 18 or 19, mm. given the inherent scepticism mm. that yeah. I would have, yeah. it would probably polarise me in a very different way. Yeah, yeah. It'd make sure that they were the last people. If I was going to get them, I'd make sure they were last on the ballot. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the advertising itself actually changes the minds of younger people? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because I'm so inclined to just brush off this advertising and say, who the hell is listening to this? This is stupid, this is insane. But I think there's two reasons why I don't think that's completely true. The first is a simple nature of outrage, where because these uh, advertisements can just lie to people, because they, they can just spread misinformation, I think you can just get more and more outrageous. And, you know, if it's if it's an interesting enough ad for it, if they're saying something kooky enough or wacky enough, I might just listen to the first 15 seconds just to see what they're saying, just to be like, what on earth rubbish are you talking about? And if that's engaging my curiosity, my interest, I expect that's that much more likely to engage other people's curiosity interests who might be more undecided about their votes. The second reason why I think it might commit some young people is that it's not really targeted, I don't think, to the cynic that you were at 19 or the sceptic that I might be or whatever. I think it is targeted to the person who is still undecided and wants to be convinced of these things. So there was a, a political advertisement not too long ago that um, spoke to the way that the uh, Chinese government was apparently buying up airfields in Western Australia. It was all yes. across YouTube for a while. Um, and I believe that was dubiously truthful. Um, I'm not going to make too many comments on it because I haven't done enough research, but it was at least dubiously truthful. And I am confident that that kind of an ad, that kind of a campaign, would have absolutely skewed some young voters' opinions 
about who to vote for, about the way Australia is protecting itself against the Chinese government. But it wasn't going to skew my opinion, because I think that that kind of scaremongering about the Chinese government is questionable. But it might skew someone who already thought the Chinese government was there to buy up the land, who already thought they were the monolithic enemy that was going to come and destroy our way of life in the next decade, right? Um, And so I I think that these ads aren't troubling for the sceptic, but they are convincing to people who aren't yet decided or are more open to being convinced. And I think that's what internet ads are aimed for. Um, and so, yeah, I do think that they they have a, a minimised impact on young people because of just how many goddamn ads we see every day. But I think that minimal impact is still enough to change some people's minds, especially when you can lie, especially when you can say whatever you want. The history of propaganda, because that's what political advertising is, mm. You know, the the psychology of propaganda is to pick an issue that resonates with the disaffected. Mm, Yeah. So if you are marginalised because of your socioeconomic status and somebody can show you a big bad other that's not you, Mm. that's not your fault. Um, You know, the, the... My favourite episode in South Park was, they're taking all our jobs! You know, it was the how do you get a catch cry for a mob to go berserk? They're taking all our jobs. Yeah, yeah, right. So whether it's about the potential invasion from China, because that ad in particular points out because of strategic airfields that they've purchased or built, they could fly from China to a point in WA and then bomb Perth, you know, and run tank of petrol. Sure, sure. And if you're disaffected and you are somewhat put out in life, the disaffected might be influenced by an ad like that. The same way the Liberal Democrats talk about certain issues like gun ownership, Mm. um, legalising marijuana is an interesting one with the Liberal Democrats. They believe in small government. So why wouldn't you deregulate and decriminalise certain things? Um, And if that was the only message that they were putting out into the open market at the moment, I would imagine there'd be some kids out there going, this is the party that wants to legalise it. Yeah, right, yeah. And they play against those things that those that are disaffected might really dislike in what we would call a privileged majority. So Mm. um, the current Prime Minister's religion is often dragged into the middle of uh, Mm. the media and the economic... Uh, credentials of a Labor Party are always dragged out. Mm. One of the things you'll find that that political advertising seldom does is talk about key core issues. Right, yeah. So the one thing I've noticed about um, the fringe parties is nobody's coming up, and I've, I've got a theory about this and I want to run this by you, but the single-issue parties like the Liberal Democrats, like One Nation, mm. like mm. Uh, the United Australia Party, aren't taking on the big challenges. They take on the fringe challenges that you can scare people with, like national security, China, you know, the economy of how we'll fix it. Right, yeah. But there is a trend in Australia at the moment that they're calling teal independence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These are largely centrist candidates that are uh, loosely aligned. They're not using attack ads. Yeah. They are taking on bigger issues and they're saying it's me it's not a party it's me and this Mm. is how i will vote and on certain things i will vote with one side of the two-party system and on certain things i'll vote on the other 
how do you think or why do you think that approach to the electorate is getting great success because as you said there's an independent in your seat i don't know if they're a teal mm. independent or not indeed yeah but they are more likely to roll incumbent um mm. sitting members of parliament and the government because they are not shying away from big issues yeah. they're leaning into them and they're avoiding all of this kind of manipulative propaganda mm. stuff they're really speaking to policy and issue why are they more effective than you know china's going to invade and they're taking all our jobs <laughs> i thought the teal independence might come up in this conversation fred and it is super interesting isn't it um i do think that there is a cost personally to running these attack ads at least for me i don't know how many people have a problem when these attack ads are run but i know that i don't want to particularly vote for parties that are out here wasting their advertising budget slandering and lying about and attacking the other side um so i do think that that like way of, of conducting oneself in the advertising election helps out um but i also think that these teal independents speak to a growing dissatisfaction in in australia with our two-party system with our parties um i don't think i'd say too much that isn't already out there about them but like Quite simply, I think they speak to the stronger desire for maybe centrism on the right. Maybe this is a, a bit of a broad statement to make, but um, I would I would argue that it feels as if the, the Liberal coalition with the Nationals hasn't felt as if it represents too many of the more moderate centrist Liberals in the inner city that are voting for Liberal parties, safe seats um, in those areas, and that's opened the doorway for these independents to come and contest these seats um, talking about issues like climate change corruption and gender issues three key concerns for these moderate centrist liberal voters yeah i think there's something to that and i think one of the aspects of advertising is your is only the the ads uh the best ads in the world don't make up for a substandard product mm -hmm. so i think one of the the thoughts that i have what would have swayed me when I was younger mm. was the quality of what I was hearing when I did the independent review rather than the, the you know, the headline or the yeah. clickbait. Yeah. The irony for me with political advertising is I don't believe in this country that we would be worse off if all political advertising was banned. Yeah, right. That's an interesting thought. I've often thought it seems like a waste. Well, I'm also of the belief, and I'm sure there are people out there, particularly in ad agencies, that continue to get these hundreds of millions of dollars during election time every four years, that would say, yeah, but we can show you that 2%, and in some seats, the margin of 2% yeah. is the, you know, but the reality is, I don't believe it changes the outcome. Right. I think that we get our information about politics more from the people that we know than the ads that we would see. Yeah. And I think that the evidence of that was the great groundswell of, uh, of Green's popularity when they started to speak to the agenda of the environment right. and how that resonated as an issue. And really it is what got um, the Greens uh, a foothold as a mainstream party. Mm. And it happened all over the world. Mm. I think the Teal Party is now doing something very similar Insofar as they're saying ads aren't going to change people, 
the quality of the candidate, the candidate's credibility and the candidate's capacity to speak to a local electorate Mm -hmm. about broader issues Mm -hmm. is actually a bit of a a, a winner. And we can see that in the way that things are going. I think you could spend a trillion dollars and there would be a certain party that uses yellow that would never get in the government because from from the youngest voter to the oldest we know it's a scam Mm, mm, yeah yeah what i'm a bit uh, and i believe if you're going to vote for one nation no amount of any other party's advertising is going to change your vote because there's something that resonates in their um their offering and we won't call it inherent racism but you know that it it, it is what it is they're offering yes yes they're offering that a hundred percent resonates with a cohort of people Mm. so i think political advertising is largely a waste i think i want to ask you a question about one aspect of political advertising that's not called advertising and it's the debates right okay yeah so you're a young person you're a really smart guy one there's been three debates did you watch them no there you go two would the outcome of a debate change who you would vote for oh look those are good questions fred i i i'm personally quite cynical about the notion of debate i think they're a little bit circus-like and a little bit just there for everyone's amusement rather than actual policy just because i think that that's not really the forum in which these things happen. I know some people like to think that they get a good sense of the like backbone or the character of the uh, of the uh, prime ministerial candidates during those debates, and I think that I can understand that. I think that's fair enough. Like, um, if if someone like manages themselves quite well in that debate, I might be inclined to think better of them as a person, um, and so therefore might be that much more likely to vote for them. But I think I definitely don't take any inspiration about policy from these debates because I think to me they're kind of more of a shouting match or if not a shouting match maybe an ego match between the uh, Prime Minister not Prime Ministerial candidates um, I'm, I'm pretty sceptical about them as an institution myself I find it fascinating that people and, and I'll talk about the boomers and, and the older generation that will say did you watch it didn't such and such speak so articulately right yeah and it's interesting because I certainly understand that presentation speaks to a degree of how people perceive people, but ultimately it is a show mm, mm. and it's not even a good debate because it's not, <laughs> no. it's not interesting people. <laughs> there is no probable scenario where one of these two individuals doesn't become our prime mm, minister. Indeed, indeed. One either returns or one remains. So we look at this, when we talk about political advertising, we talk about those things that influence people. I'm under the impression that it only crystallises for about, for the the large majority of Australians, the concept or the messaging coming out during election time only crystallises what they were already going to do. Yeah. So let's put it out there. Let's be bold, Matt. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think? We've talked about political advertising. Okay, we have a two-party preferred system. Right. Yeah. There, is, there is a fourth outcome, though. There are four potential outcomes. <laughs> either party wins majority or either party forms government in minority. Yeah, right. 
What do you think is going to happen? Ooh, what do I think is going to happen? Look, I, I, I haven't been too across it. I would not be surprised if we end up with some kind of a hung parliament because I reckon at least one or two of the teal independents might take something from the Liberals. I reckon that would be big. I also feel as if Labor hasn't mounted an especially effective alternative to the incumbent Liberals, so I don't necessarily think that Labor's going to have a, a huge groundswell of support. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see one of them incumbent. I don't know who it would be. I might suspect Labor, but I don't know. So you're saying Labor minority government? I suspect so, yeah. But 1st of June, Anthony Albanese is our Prime Minister in coalition with the Greens and Teal Independence is Maybe. Matt's call. Yeah. You know what, Matt? You know what's scary? What? That's that's going to be my prediction yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, I don't mind a hung parliament. Man, there's a lot of scare campaigns out there about that right now. Maybe that's a whole other discussion to have. But I reckon where a bit of negotiation, a bit of cooperation within the parliament might not be the worst thing in the world. But I think knows. what a hung parliament does is allow people to really get issues through for their electorate mm. as a way of agreeing to, to broader national policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of governments around the world... Um, Lots of countries around the world manage quite effectively with what they call a minority government, yeah, yeah. or a coalition of quite diverse, indeed, yeah. um, uh, diverse parties coming together. Because that Venn diagram of what is common is often quite a big pool compared to what is different. Hmm. Okay, one last thought for you: you've seen all the political advertising, you've seen the propaganda, you've made your predictions on the major parties. The question that everyone wants to know is, after this election, in the Australian political sphere, who retains the title of the craziest politician, Bob Catter or Jackie Lamb? <laughs> I'm actually going to throw my hat in and say it's uh, Craig Kelly who's heading the oh, UAP. Oh, <laughs> no, look, I think that, look, Jackie Lamb and Bob Catter are good, are good, good calls. I actually have a soft spot for Jackie Lambie now, which I'm 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 terrified to say because it feels as if she's actually listened to her electorate on num- her electorate on numerous issues and changed her opinions about them, which I think is actually what representation should look like. Um, so I'm going to say Craig Kelly. Uh, look, I think the the man with the hat and the plan is too hard. <laughs> you know, the the best of uh, North Queensland. <laughs> I think it would be a long time, it would be a cold day in hell before we would find somebody that could do what Bob Catter does for Australian politics. Fair enough, yeah. Mate, it's been a great discussion today. We've jumped around a bit, but I have to say the core of what we're talking about is the manipulation of generations using advertising and, you know, this, this idea that you put forward that political ads don't have to meet the same standards as uh, the ads for the consumer products that we have in our lives in itself is a real worry, isn't it? Yeah, and I really just, I think I want more young people to know that explicitly. And maybe even more older people, Fred, like, I don't know, it, it sounds like you were pretty across that, but I'm just so used to our advertisements having standards of truthfulness to them in every part of my life that I was still shocked to hear that wasn't the case with politics. So I think it's a really worthwhile thing to keep in mind when we have elections. I think I was one of the first generations where there had to be truth in advertising. I certainly know my parents' generation they would have seen ads like six out of seven doctors <laughs> recommend Apache brand cigarettes, right, you know, because right, yeah. um, they're better for your lung health. <laughs> so I think we take for granted the fact that uh, there should be very few lies. And we're often made aware of people that do lie in ads. Yeah. 
Matt, have a great week. Listeners, we will talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to If I Only Knew. Uh, Matt and I are embarking on the, the next half of this year to sort of boost our platform and get more people listening. So tell your friends. If you had a chuckle today or you learned something, let people know. Especially um, about this political advertising stuff because yeah. I reckon it's pretty relevant right now. Absolutely. And we're not going to sell out like uh, the political parties have But the more people that listen, the closer we are to Joe Rogan money. So let's get out there and spread the word. Thank you, Matt. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production. With special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Blanche, the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment. And in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts are theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bed Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.